what's amazing about Conduit is we have a lot of pastors, teachers, preachers amongst us. And so when uh, the opportunity arises for someone to, to fill in and, and bring the word, we have um, an incredible crew of people. And so uh, today, one of our elders, Mark Bourgeois, is going to share with us today. And he comes to us with a lot of wisdom and a lot of seasons behind him and in front of him. Isn't that right, Mark? And so <laughs> yeah. uh, we're just thrilled to have him speak to us today. Thanks, Mo. Yeah, for those of you, uh, you know, if you're in mid-50s and above, you'll recognize those words wisdom and seasoning are always usually part of the intro. Anyway, um, thank you. Uh, so what a, what a joy to be here. And, you know, my wife and I, usually we attend the 9 o'clock service, so it's great being here at 1030. And it really does show the 9 o'clock's a bit of a warm-up for the 1030. So, <laughs> um, so Alex, Alex Matala is a dear friend of mine I've had the privilege of introducing to the fellowship, and Darren's going to talk a lot about their trip there. And I met Alex in 2001. And uh, it's an interesting story, and just for a second, sort of hopefully this encourages your faith because, you know, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Um, so a friend of mine named Todd Bell met Alex in 1994 when he felt God from his little place in Franklin, Tennessee, saying, you need to go to Uganda, to which he said, never been to Uganda. I have no idea what's going on in Uganda. Like, why? Why Uganda? I don't know, but go to Uganda. Okay. So he shows up in Uganda, and literally, you know, he had no idea. He knew no one, not a single soul. And so he arranges his flights, and he gets to Kampala, and he's praying along the way, like, God, I really, I don't have, like, a hotel at the Radisson or anything. Like, you know, I'm just literally, I'm showing up. And I've got a return ticket, and that's it. So he shows up, and, you know, this is the way God works, is that Alex Matala was praying, and the Holy Spirit told him, he said, you're supposed to go to the airport today and pick up a guy who's here to help you. And to which Alex said, well, how would I know him? Trust me, you'll know him, right? Because if you're a Mzungu, which in, you know, Kampala and Lugandan is the word for a white person, right? You kind of stick out a little bit, uh, especially back then. 1994, so he shows up and Alex goes to him and Todd goes through, you know, comes through baggage, gets his stuff. And he's out there, and this was even before they built the new airports. This is like nothing. So you guys remember, some of you older folks, remember the El Al crisis, right, when it crashed in Entebbe, right? It's still sitting off to the runway with weeds growing out of the windows, right? So understand you're in true third world here. And so Todd goes through, gets his baggage, and comes out, and this, you know, African gentleman, you know, Al Hello, my name is Alex Metala. Who are you? God has told me to come get you, you know, <laughs> to which he says, Okay, great. And that's how it started. So 2001, by the, that time, there had been a couple trips, and um, I knew Todd well, and he said, hey, you want to go to Uganda with me? And I said, sure, let's go. And so uh, I went to Uganda with him, and he said, so what's, what are we going to do? And he said, well, you know, I don't know. We'll ask Alex. So we get there, and in this particular, this, he's a little more refined at this point in the process, but now, back then, he said, okay, what we're going to do is just walk around the streets and preach the gospel. Okay. And Kampala is a decent-sized city. You know, it's the capital city. And um, so we go to this neighborhood, and it's, you know, there's like one sort of paved road, kind of rock road, right? It's dirt. And he says, okay, Mark, you preach the gospel. Let's go. All right, man. So, 
you know, they got a little drum and they're beating the drum. They're singing some songs. And, you know, people start showing up because you got to understand, you know, there's no television. There's no Google. There's zip, right? You got no cell phone back then, et cetera. And um, so we show up and I'm asking the Lord. I'm saying, okay, God, um, what am I supposed to say? And uh, he said, well, why don't you ask me for something that only I can do? Okay. So that sounds interesting. So I didn't know, man. And, um, you know, uh, this isn't my DNA, by the way. This is not just a lot of the norm for me. That this crowd, you know, assembles, and there's all these Africans, and there's us, like six or seven white people, you know, that, you know, we got a couple interpreters with us. And I said, okay, uh, those of you who need God to do something only God could do, raise your hand. And this one guy raises his hand, like, let me say, raise his hand. And, um, uh, you know, and I'm like, okay. And so I asked this person, like, go ask him, what, what does he need? And all of a sudden I see they start talking in sign language. I'm like, hmm, hint. Uh, so he could read lips really well. And uh, so he said, I'm deaf. All right, God, this is you, right? You're on display, right? I don't really, you know, I'm just the white guy from America. I don't know, you know. And so I said, and so we prayed, and we asked God to heal him immediately. And all I remember is we're praying over him, and we're asking the Lord to come and the Holy Spirit to do a miracle in his body. And, you know, at about a minute and a half in, he, his eyes come wide open, and he starts talking. And he says, I can hear. So amazing, right? Anyway, the glory of God, so the glory of God was on exhibit. And it wasn't anything about me. It wasn't anything about us. It was just the fact that we were simple enough to say, God, would you show up and do something only you could do, right? So we're going to talk this morning about the glory of the Lord. And, you know, when I speak, I use a lot of scripture because, frankly, I believe that, yeah, while well, I told a story here, the reality is I tell a lot of stories and, you know, maybe your emotions get, you know, excited or not or whatever. Um, but the reality is for most people, after you hear those things, you know, you go away and two weeks later you can't remember what was, what was discussed. But the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is what actually changes hearts. That is why you're going to hear a lot of scripture. Now, I'm going to display a lot of it up here. And so you'll see a lot of it, so you can follow along as you'd like. But I want to pray first. So please join me. Lord, Jesus, this topic, the glory of the Lord, it's inexhaustible. It's uncomprehendable. It's also incredibly difficult to explain. And when your servants tried to describe heaven, they talked about a lot of things that's hard for us here to capture. So, Lord, we need the Holy Spirit to supernaturally come into every one of our hearts, our minds, and to do only what you can do. And I, so I do pray, God, that every word that needs to be said, would only that would be said. And I pray, God, that the scripture, that would, they would come alive, they would come alive in, in, our, you, in us, your people, and that every person would receive what they need. In Jesus' name, amen. So five weeks ago to the day, to today, um, I, or yesterday actually, I found my father passed away in the front room of his apartment. So 
needless to say, for the last five weeks, um, I travel a lot. I was coming back last week from Abu Dhabi, and as I was flying, I spent a lot of time thinking about this. It clearly brings your mortality front and center, right? And in a situation like that, you know, as we did my father's funeral, and we took him up to his, where he grew up in Illinois and buried him, um, you ask yourself a lot of questions. Now, when I was younger, and there's a lot of younger people here, it's like, oh, man, that's a real downer, right? Thanks, man. You know, I appreciate that. Uh, because you're not thinking about, you know, the end. You're still enjoying the beginning, right? But for those of us who are probably more on the back side of the property than the front side now, uh, you know, the reality is you start to think about these things a lot. And I asked myself, like, God, what was my father's first experience like, right? And what do you think, you know, the first thing is, you know, obviously we show up in heaven, the splendor and the majesty's got to blow you away. It's got to be more than what we ever could even comprehend or conceive of, right? Great. But I'm also thinking like maybe a couple days into it, I don't know, maybe it's like five years into it, that at some point maybe you ask yourself a question, and what would be that question? And as I thought through the scriptures, as I really poured over a lot of this, what came back to me was this simple question, did I glorify God? Did my life glorify him. So I began going through the scriptures and, and digging out all the verses that talk about the glory of the Lord, Old Testament and New Testament. So the first slide, if you can throw it up there, um, the glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of his manifold perfections. That's one definition that I found I felt like was, was the most comprehensive. And if you think about it, you know, we just talked about the needs that, uh, that we had as a church and that the $26,000 and the giving that took place, Philippians 4.19 is a scripture often used, you know, my God so supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, stop and think about it for a second. Could it be possibly that your miracle of provision comes about the more that you see the glory of the Lord? And you understand that glory. Because most of the time we think about that verse and you think, oh, the glory in Christ, oh, that means in heaven. That means cattle on a thousand hills. Yes, that's true. But what if it actually talks about the actual receiving the perspective of you in your life going from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord? How much do we focus on the glory of God? So in the Old Testament, next slide, um, in the Hebrew, kabod or kavod means weightiness. And I'm going to read a couple of scriptures that, you know, you exemplifies the glory of God. In the Old Testament, when God would show up, many times it scared a lot of people, right? It was pretty difficult to be around that. Um, the Shekinah glory really talks about the dwelling of God, the, his presence, right, uh, coming to the temple, etc. And then the Greek New Testament, doxa, doxology, you know, is the Greek word that we interpret as glory, 145 times in the New Testament. So 2 Chronicles 7, 1-3, says, Now when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. The priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house, and all the sons of Israel, seeing the fire come down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, bowed down on the pavement, with their faces to the ground, and they worshiped and gave praise to the Lord, saying, truly he is good, 
truly his, his, loving, his loving kindness is everlasting. Exodus 40, 34 and 35, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So in the Old Testament, the glory of God, right, when God showed up, you knew it. So the first thing I want to talk about a little bit is the glory of God is the express purpose of all things. So everything that's been done in Genesis 1, when God threw creation, he said, and he created, and it was good, right? Everything was created in its end purpose to glorify God. That's our objective. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Isaiah 6, 3, and one called out to another and said, the angels here in heaven, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. So in the Old Testament, you get an understanding of the presence of the Lord. But this was really before man was able to enter into that kind of relationship with God to experience his glory, right? That's why they bowed on the, on the pavement, right? And when you think about the other religions of the world, I travel a lot, you know, to places where the Muslim faith is very dominant, right? It's a very subservient thing. It's, you know, there's not the ability to know the glory of God. I just can recognize it. I'm just supposed to recognize it, and then I, from, a, from afar... I see it. The second thing is the glory of God is clearly seen in creation. This is an evidence of him. Psalm 19.1, the heavens are telling the glory of, of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. So if you look at this picture, and I ask you, go back in your own mind, in your own life, to a time maybe when you, whether it was someplace on vacation a dawn, a sunset, a time when you centered your heart on the Lord. And if you haven't done that, I encourage you to do it. Actually, if you do that every day, it'll change your life. A spark, the spark of stopping and comprehending the glory, the majesty, the splendor of who he is. That, in the end, is our total purpose in this life. 1 Timothy, 6, 15, or 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16, talking about the second coming of Christ, says, which he will bring about at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen nor can see, to him be the honor and, and eternal dominion. Habakkuk 2.14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The glory of God, therefore, third thing, is most clearly expressed in Jesus. It's in him that we see the earthly evidence of what it's like to live in the glory of God. The glory of God in righteousness are always intertwined. And I encourage you to think about that. The righteousness, 
that you have in Christ. Number 6, 24, 26 says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. The word peace there is the word shalom, which, you know, if you've been in the church for a while, you've probably heard this. But again, shalom meaning much greater depth than the word peace in English. It means completeness, wholeness, health, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfectness, fullness, rest, harmony. It's also the absence of agitation or discord. So the peace of God, the shalom of God comes on you as you recognize the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So if you look at this picture, you know, we've all probably seen pictures like this, whether it was your junior high school science class or, or whatever it was. But what's interesting is that the more science actually evidences and gets a perspective of they think they got it a little bit figured out, then we actually get a telescope with an additional level of power and we realize we're still at the tip of a pen, right? We have no idea the, to comprehend the vastness of all that he has created, it's trillions of galaxies. So you think the Big Bang, you know, that's it. That's how it happened. You know, one out of eight gazillion trillion chance that these two molecules came together. Good luck. As, as I've told my sons, you know, we've had you know, many discussions about this. You have greater faith if you believe in evolution than you do if you believe in Jesus. But the perspective of getting just a glimpse of the vastness of who he is. And what I want to challenge you with is that that is also inside of you. That is in you because the glory of God, I believe, is evidenced in anything that's miraculous. Right? Every conception, I believe, is a miracle. So in every child... You know, as soon as they come out of the as soon as they're born, I believe if you look at that child, you will see a spark of the glory of God. Right? And then at the second birth, when you receive Christ, right, and you become a new creation in him, by the way, you want to talk a bit about a big bang. Right? That changes everything. That changes your eternity. That truly is the great big bang. And at that point, that glimpse of a spark of glory that he put in you at creation can be fulfilled in who you are in Christ. And you can represent who he is. And you're then able to go from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. So, when a couple of my sons, my oldest son's 30, he went to Vanderbilt, really smart kid, got an economics degree, He's now going to business school. And uh, my other son's 27. And we'd have these discussions. And they, their faith wasn't evident. Which, by the way, if you're a young person, you know, I really encourage you, if you want to read a good book, read the book The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Right? There's a movie that came out about it. The movie talks a lot more about his life. 
But if you actually read the book, The Case for Christ, it will actually deal with a lot of the questions that if you're going, especially to a public school, you better have answers for. Because at some point, you're going to have to deal with it. Why do you believe this stuff? Because mom and dad's faith is eventually going to fade. So you have to understand why do you believe what you believe. In the end, it all comes down to the resurrection. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, hey, we're just having fun on a Sunday morning, right? But if he rose from the dead, then it's all changed. That is the ultimate question of everything of Christianity. Did Jesus Christ rise from the dead? But you need to have that faith for yourself. And so as my sons were going through this, another friend of mine from South Africa, Pastor Sapreza, was here in Nashville, and I asked him a question. I said, Melissa and I were together and saying, yeah, how do we pray for our sons? And he said something I'll never forget that was very different than I thought he was going to say. He said, call them back to who God created them to be. Call them back to who God created them to be. So as you think about your life, as we think about each of us representing the Lord, it is understanding and actually seeing pursuing the glory of the Lord that will change you. John 17, 5, Jesus said, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Revelation 21, 23 says, And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of, the lo- of, of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the lamp. Just simply seeing Jesus is it. 2 Thessalonians 2.8 says that Jesus will destroy everything at the end by just appearing. His glory is all it takes. He doesn't have to say anything. He doesn't get out a sword. Just his appearing. So it's in that appearance that actually you and I find the ability to be changed. So... The fourth thing is we as humans, we mirror or project what we look at, what we focus on, what we dwell on, right? Philippians 4 and verse 8 says to think on things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Think on these things. Dwell on these things. Hebrews 12, 2 says for us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's what we're supposed to focus on. So... No discussion of the glory of God would be fulfilled without talking about Moses and his experience. So I want you to look at Exodus chapter 33 for a minute with me. And I want you to put yourself in Moses' place here. I'm going to start at verse 1. There aren't slides up here for this one, so you just have to follow it with me. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your descendants, I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, because you are an obstinate people, and I might destroy you on the way. you got to remember the chapter before, they'd done the golden calf, right? Moses got ticked through the stones, right? You remember the story. So, verse 4, when the people heard this sad word, they went into mourning, and none of them put on his ornaments. 
For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the sons of Israel, You are an obstinate people. Should I go up uh, in your midst for one moment? I would destroy you. Now therefore, uh, put off your ornaments from you, that I may know what I shall do with you. So the sons of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. So everything that they thought represented God, their religion, right? Their garb, right? Their bling, if you put it in, you know, the, our, our vernacular, if you would, right? Take it off. Take off your nice clothes. Take off, you know, all this stuff that you think represents who I am. Strip yourself to nothing because that's not who I am. So now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp a good distance from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who saw, who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And it came about whenever Moses went out to the tent that all the people would arise and stand each at the entrance of his tent and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. And whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship each at the entrance of his tent. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from his tent. So think about that. That's pretty cool, right? You're Moses. God's talking to you like he is a friend. That's awesome. Wow. Right? But Moses wasn't satisfied with that. That wasn't enough for him. So we read on. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Well, now, therefore, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me me know your ways that I may know you so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. Okay? So you stop and say, well, that's a pretty good promise. I could leave then. Nope. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us, so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth. You and I are distinguished apart from everything based on how you reflect the glory of God. As you see the glory of God manifested in your life, that is what distinguishes us as completely different. The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. He went that far. He'd gotten promises. I'll go with you. I'll send somebody out, etc. But I don't want to come amidst your people because I'll probably kill you because of, frankly, your obstinance, because of the idol worship that's taken place amongst Israel. But Moses says, that's not enough. That isn't enough. I have to see your glory because your glory is what will change me. And he said, I myself will make all my my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me and you shall stand there on the rock And it will come about when my glory is passing by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock 
and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Moses reflected God's glory. You and I can reflect God's glory. Psalms 8, 4, and 5 says, What is man that you, that you thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God, and you crowned him with glory and majesty. So you are created to be a mirror of God. That's what we are supposed to do. Reflect him in this world to other people. Exodus 34, 29 says, It came about when Moses was coming down from the mount, Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were were in Moses' hands, the new ones. As he was coming down the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him. So, question. Do you recognize the glory of God in you? Not in someone else, but in you. One of the most difficult things to do in life, for an adult at least, uh, is to look in a mirror for a long period of time. Stop and think about it, right? Because what do you do? You know, you get ready in the morning, you make sure everything's kind of in place or somewhat close, I'm done, I'm out, right? And, you know, with the few times you may go to the restroom, you know, during the day, that's about the only time you're going to encounter a mirror, right? So the reality is, I would ask you to do this. Stop. Take five minutes and do nothing but look in a mirror. And look for the glory of God he's put in you. Because it's there. It is there. The gifts that he's given you. The callings that he has on you. You represent him. But you need to see it. Many times we can see it in others. Right? But you don't see it in yourself. See the glory of the Lord that he has placed in you. And what does that look like? And how does it grow? So if you look at this slide, this next picture, you know, the glory of the Lord represents a lot of times exactly what, what, uh, what Darren and the team were doing in Uganda. And, you know, frankly, I'm not sure whether the glory of God is being, you know, shared more from the local to the young lady or, or vice versa. That's why it's beneficial, by the way, to go if you can, is because it will take you outside your norm, it takes you outside your culture, and you begin to see the glory of God manifested. But I do encourage you, and I ask you, do you really seek that? Do you understand it? Because the other thing, as I mentioned earlier, is the righteousness of God and the glory of God are inextricably combined. They're intertwined. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I ask you, are you more sin conscious or righteousness conscious? Being righteousness conscious has to focus on him. It's not you, right? Most believers, frankly, you don't have to be convinced anymore that you're a sinner. You kind of get that, right? And yes, we're still sinners, and we blow it. But how much do you spend in your day thinking about the righteousness that you have in Christ? That you are the righteousness of God. He sees you perfect, right? In Hebrews, in the Hall of Fame, you know, when he talked about Sarah, he didn't talk about Sarah's mistakes. He represented her faith, 
right? He didn't talk about Abraham, the fact that he said a couple times, she's my sister, right, in order to get out of trouble, right, and how he screwed up. He talked about his faith. God sees you as perfect in Christ. You are in Christ. You're not perfect yet. But as Paul said, forgetting the things which are behind and focusing on the things which are ahead. But as you focus on those things that are ahead, you need to see the glory of God in your life. And you see it along your path. Isaiah 61, 60 and verse 1 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. It takes the Holy Spirit for you to see it. That's why at the very beginning I wanted to pray and ask God that the Holy Spirit is the only thing that can help you see that. But you also should look for it. See the glory of God represented in you and actually in everything that you're about. So I've got a little video I want to show. Um, and I ask you to stop and think. Those of you who are moms or parents, certainly, you've seen this. When a baby was born, you, you can see that. The glory of God in that infant. But can you see the glory of God it, along the way? All along the way, no matter where you are in life. No matter how far down that path you are. Do you see the glory of God? Go ahead and play it. Though the world cannot contain your holiness, you have made a way. Oh, you have made the way. The veil was torn. And we stand before you now In your glory we're amazed By your glory we're amazed All glory, all honor All praise to you By the blood of Christ our lives have been me please father thank you for what you've put in each of us thank you for the incredible love that you've poured out on us thank you for jesus 
the author and the finish of our faith. Thank you for the glory that you've put in us as your people. And God, I ask you that this week, I ask you that we would pause, that we would stop, that we would see who you've created us to be. Thank you for the glory of God. Thank you for the glory of God represented in each person, in each life. And may we encourage each other. May we call each other out to fulfill the purpose and the presence that you put in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hi. <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Um, that was really good. That was really, really good. And what Mark didn't know is that this sets up perfectly where we're going in the month of August for the next uh, session. Because we're, so we just got back from Africa last night. And you know what happened was we drilled a well last year. We, and you know what they did? They did what Jesus said would happen. They see your good works and glorify God. Let my goodness pass before you. There's such a profound thing of what it means to bring glory. So anyway, that's where we're going. You just, in volleyball, is that the bump, the set, and now I get to spike it next week? So anyway, thank you for setting it up for me. Um, I'm Darren. If you're visiting, I'm one of the pastors here and just so grateful uh, that you joined us. Uh, I am jet lagged out of my mind and I am not allowed to preach because <laughs> you just don't know. But I wanted to say thank you uh, and I mean, honest to goodness, thank you. Um, we just came back from a trip where uh, God just was on display the whole time. Anyway, this is David, Christopher David uh, Mazumba Daudi, which means Pastor David in Lugandan, uh, is our mission pastor, director of the mission. So, David? Yeah, I'm super excited, guys. I know a lot of you have interacted on social media and kept up with the stories, but I, I just want to uh, publicly convey there are two villages who are now getting a well because of because of what you guys have done yes it's we are we're we're jazzed i mean we got back after midnight last night after two days of straight travel and uh it's tiring but i am so energized this morning being in the room with you guys i'm so thankful um the name of these villages so i want you all to say with me so the first one's name is kawalira Kawalira, and the second village is called Kisagala. Kisagala. Yes. Um, so I want you guys to continue praying for them because we've raised the funds, we've you know slammed down the go button, uh, and everything's in full force to keep running. And guys, I've seen so much over the last couple of weeks of just everything that we've been able to partner with our friends in Uganda, and how much they do with what we partner with them on. It's just mind-blowing. So many stories I could share. But I'm so excited for everything moving forward, but I do want you guys to continue to pray that just the process goes smoothly now. The actual digging has to take place. Uh, everything, all the work has to be done, uh, and I have full confidence that it's going to happen. But I want you guys to be familiar with those names so you can be praying for it. And secondly, I know you guys might get tired of hearing this from me because I'm the guy who gets to say it all the time, but I just want to throw it out there. If you have ever had an urge, a prompting, a, a, even a curiosity in your spirit about the continent of Africa, maybe even Uganda specifically, 
we are going back. This, the relationship that we are building into is a long-term relationship. And so we will absolutely be providing you with opportunity to join us next year. Again, one, maybe two, depends on how many of you guys come up. We'll, we, will, we will lead as many teams as we can fill to partner in Uganda. So I want you to be praying about it now. Some of you, maybe that doesn't apply, and I understand that, and you have full release from that. But for some of you, it does apply, and there is an inkling, and there is something there in your spirit already, even before we announce that. And so I just urge you now, with the excitement that we're bringing back, and you're anxious hearing about that, I want you to move on that now and begin praying about it. This is my 17-year-old daughter, Ashley, who went with me. Um, Maddie and Lauren, my other daughters, have already been. We planted a church each time we've been there. Ethan, God has an appointment with you next summer. Ash, tell us what your trip was like and, uh, and wh- like what you walked away from. Um, <laughs> um, I think one of the biggest things that I took away from being there is I found a, a freedom, I guess, a lot of happiness, I s- suppose. <laughs> That's how you can put it. I don't, it's hard for me to explain in words all the things that happened there. <laughs> uh, one of the things that happened was, so normally I would never get up in front of people and talk or even dance, but in their church service, I made a lot of friends with the um, Christ, Good Samaritan Christ the King Church. Uh, they had... They sent their students to come evangelize with us in the village. And so when we were all dancing and singing after we had evangelized, they invited me to come up with them in front of the stage. <laughs> so normally I would never do that, but, but you did. I did. <laughs> yeah. She, you looked free, and freedom looks good on you. You looked good. Um, guys, thank you. I, was all, I don't know what else to say. Um, we were getting ready to leave Friday, and I found out that we needed uh, an extra $800 per well. It had been 13000 but it's Africa. This new company has better technology, and so, you know, they just sort of dropped on me. Yeah, we're going to need an extra 800 per well. I'm like, well, I don't have an extra 800 We've rung this out like a chamois, and... So I, I looked online, and there was like $600 over already miraculously, so we just needed $1,000. And I was like, God, I felt like you said that we would have this paid for before I left. So we were at the airport, and that morning, Friday morning, which was like well, forever ago now, um, and there was an email, uh, an email that an extra $1,000 came in online. A pastor friend of mine from Oklahoma said his wife just felt the Holy Spirit say, just give him an extra $1,000. So we ended up flying out of the country with $28 to spare. <laughs> and I had Amy send the money on Friday. I was like, I don't know where it's going to come from, which she's kind of used to this by now. I'm like, we'll figure it out, I guess, but we've got to send it. And I look back and what happened with the floor. And I thought, you know, because Shannon started this before we ever left with the floor. Or no, after I left. Because that's what she does, by the way, when I leave town. Like, <laughs> rearranges the living room. And the beautiful thing about the church is now she can just rearrange the church while I'm gone and... Although she did clean out the garage, so there you go. Um, but we just sort of moved on. We moved on in faith. Had no idea. And 
I just want to end with this. That the Bible says in Proverbs that when you give to the poor, you are loaning money to God and he will repay you in full. It's no accident that this was a twenty-four dollars to $26,000 job and that we got a twenty-four dollars to $26,000 donated to make it happen. That's no accident. And I just thought, you know, even if our kids, even if we go to school next year, you know, with the school starts and it's just regular old concrete and whatever, isn't that better than knowing that there are children that are literally getting water from a cesspool? Isn't that better that we, go to, that we have that? But the thing is, is we didn't have to choose. The Lord did it anyway. So when you give to the Lord, when we, and I say we because we did this, then we're loaning money to God, and he will repay it in full, and he's done it. So we can give glory, look at the good works, and give glory to God, not to me, not to the Mazungu. And to find that, hear that story from 1994, that all started because one guy just said yes. And here it is in 2017, village after village after village. It's just crazy stuff. So if the Lord is knocking on your heart, maybe you could say yes. Maybe you're a Todd Bell for next year that God's going to put in motion. Go be blessed. Be conduits of his goodness and of his glory this week. Uh, that's such a good word, Mark. I'm going to be listening to that again. So be blessed. Life is just an endless hill you climb. You try and try, but never arrive. I'm telling you something.